Um, Vas Bruce, just uh, in starting today, that just to share a little bit about um, what he's been doing in Madagascar and Mauritius, and oh, not Mauritius. Oh, you know where you went. You tell us here. Yeah. I, I think I think I do. I'm not quite sure, but it's uh, it's an interesting trip that I do once a year because the two issues. It's over 30 hours travel. Uh, that's not the worst thing. The worst thing is it turns the clock 12 hours. So you're meant to be uh, awake when you're meant to be sleeping and vice versa. And so for me anyway, my body goes into all sorts of confusion. But anyway, that's all part of it. So I spent a few days doing some meetings in South Africa, connecting with some churches, things here. But the primary purpose of the trip is to work in an area that's opened up that I'm very involved with now, what they call the Indian Ocean. But the primary place is Madagascar. Although this trip, we also went to Reunion Island, which is next door, and had an amazing time there. Um, Obviously, there's always a lot of meetings and things going on, but the pastor there, uh, Reunion Island is part of France, although it's not connected. It's it's under, under France and under the French government, so there's almost no English which was a pain. I don't mind preaching and being interpreted. That's great. But it's a pain having personal conversations and have to have an interpreter. But the pastor there came out from the Congo. And he came out when the major genocide and everything was going on um, in, in the Congo in Africa. And um, he told us his story. We had a day free. And he sat with us and told us his story. And all I can say is what a blessed life we have down here. Uh, he left his village very slow moving because one one tribe got armed. And, of course, they've been having tribal wars forever. And one tribe got armed. His tribe didn't. And so they came in and just slaughtered everybody they could. And so he told us about how there was um, the gunfire would go on at night. Then you come out in the morning and you you um, pick up all the bodies of your friends, your family, and you bury them in a mass grave. And this was going on. So finally he decided to leave, but his brother was born crippled and very slow moving. And so he was shot at and came through all the gunfire. And uh, he decided to turn around and go home. And he says, the word of the Lord came. There was a woman who had been wounded and she grabbed him by the arm and she said, you've just got to keep going. And so he did. And anyway, to, it's a long story. I won't fill all the details, but he finished up in Reunion Island. He started off a church there three years ago. It's really thrived. In fact, when I was there speaking this morning, they baptized 12 new converts um, of that day and they're just getting massive growth so but just to hear his story and and yet you'd look at him and you'd think he's just had a normal life and a normal upbringing his highlight was he got back there after 20 years and found his parents were still alive and um, spent some time with them his father has since passed away but his father was a pastor so spent some time with them and was able to recover, but of course had lost many family and friends. So then we went into Madagascar, which is where we're primary working now, which, you know, has the third lowest living standard in the world, yet it's an island of affluence. It's, it's got beautiful agriculture and lots of sun and range and it can just grow everything. It's also got minerals and so many resources and as a result of corruption over the last 30 years, it's gone from one of the highest living standards to the lowest. So you see 
abandoned babies in the streets and little kids wandering everywhere. Um, it's all petty crime. Um, their great statement is, you can go out on the streets, no one will kill you, but they'll rob you of everything and probably leave you naked. <laughs> so the point is, they're saying, don't go on the streets, you've got to keep all the windows locked, even though it's, it's so hot. And... Um, they all walk down the middle of the road. So when you drive the cars down the road, they're walking alongside of you trying to sell you things and banging on the window. This is happening every minute of every day there. But we have met with some key leaders and key business people who are from Madagascar. My heart and our heart is always I need to work with the local people and raise the leadership up so it's their work, not ours. And they're a phenomenal group of leaders and business people. And we have now connected with the other island, which is Mauritius, which has a very high standard of living. And they're all saying, if you build something credible in Madagascar and we'll pull the money in. But uh, we want to see that it's not corrupt. We want to see that it's long-standing. And we want to see that it's taking people from all walks of life and the whole intention is to minister back to them and see them grow in Christ and, and grow in the ways of the country and the culture. So it's important to go back every year and, and show that we mean business there. So that's what I have been doing. A lot of fun, very tiring, but very rewarding, incredibly rewarding. And so apart from the travel and the clock, I'm excited to continue to work with them. So... Okay, so this morning we are going to look at Psalm 97 primarily. Now I'm not sure, I, we probably don't have an AV, so um, if you want to look it up, but I want to focus on the majesty of God out of this psalm. It's a tremendous psalm. Now I don't speak or read or understand Hebrew, but all the commenters say that the English translation robs it of much of its beauty and its majesty. Although for me, uh, the English translation is absolutely fantastic. So uh, I hope I can bring some things out of it, which I think will encourage us all this morning. But basically, the, the Psalm's talking about the coming of the Lord and what impact God's presence is going to have on this planet and particularly on the people, also on the land, but also on unbelievers. And it talks about both exhortation and encouragement, but the, psalm, the psalmist writing it urges us to embrace holiness as the key to the ultimate joy of life. And I'm sure we none of us would debate that, but it's great to pick it up from the psalms and have a look. So we're going to start in. Um, obviously, I'm only picking a few points in the time that we have this morning. So I'll read you the first three verses, which says, The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many islands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries round about. Now, this message is the foundation of the kingdom of God. Don't think futuristic. 
all that is going to happen in the future as well. But primarily they're talking about this is what happens when God engages with the earth and his people. And of course, the primary engagement was Jesus coming. So Jesus' first coming is an expression of this. Uh, God has always held the throne. God's always ruled and reigned. Psalm 2 tells us that God sits on his throne unchallenged by what all the so-called kings and authorities and people in power are doing. In fact, it says God laughs at their audacity to think they are ruling outside of him. We won't get into Psalm 2, but he doesn't laugh for long. It says then he takes action by installing his king. And we know that he has done that um, with Jesus uh, being installed. But we need to understand that this is who God is. It's not who he was or it's not who he's going to be. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. And it's who he is. God today is governing over this earth. There's lots of things happening on it that he's not the least bit happy about, nor are we his people, but he's not challenged by those things. He's not caught by surprise by those things. He's not pushed back from his plan and his purposes by any of those happenings or by any of the people who claim rulership or authority over this earth. And we need to understand that, but we need to take heart in it. But there's something tucked away in here which I want to talk about, which means a hang of a lot to me. It says in verse 1, let the many islands be glad. Now, here is an amazing thing. New Zealand is an island, as you know, it's actually three, I do understand that. But New Zealand is an island, and many islands owe their peace to their separation from other areas by the sea. So the sea, and back in olden times, the sea was a major barrier. Now, of course, humanity has got very clever, and it's less and less a barrier, but it is still there. It is still a barrier. And many of these places, if they weren't isolated by the sea, they would have been devastated. New Zealand finally came into the sights of partly Germany, but particularly Japan in the Second World War. But there was too much sea between us and them. It was too hard. One submarine did come into the harbour, but it was too hard to negotiate. And listen to what our national anthem says. May our mountains ever be freedom's ramparts on the sea. So a rampart is a protective or a peace barrier. So here in the national anthem, they are singing, may the sea ever protect us from so much of what's going on in the world, from attack, from being taken over. And it lines up with the scripture in the psalm that we're looking at that it has. And I am so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for coming home, being around the other side of the world and experiencing what goes on there and then coming back to this magnificent place. I know we've got our problems and our hassles and all those sorts of things, but coming back to that. So I encourage you, most of us in New Zealand only live one hour from the coast. 
So I encourage you, whenever you get to the coast, think about praising Jesus. Think about thanking God for the sea and how it's been put there as a natural barrier which has protected New Zealand and continues to protect us. Why God did this? Well, there's been all sorts of speculations. I'm not going to join them. There's been tremendous prophecies over the time that I've been a Christian over New Zealand and what it's going to be and how significant it is for God and, and all of those things. But there are reasons for it wider than what we can just see in the natural and to me, it's a joy to be even just a little part, as a son of the living God, just a little part of whatever that reason might be. To be a little part of that as a church. To be a little part of that as the believers in this nation. And um, I'm excited about it, uh, despite the mystery. So speaking of that, we're still in the first few verses Verse 2 tells us that clouds and thick darkness surround God. Now, uh, one of the principles of receiving revelation and understanding from God is that we never get it all. Nobody, other than Jesus and the Holy Spirit, nobody, no human being knows all all of God. Nobody understands all of God. God is unreachable. We can't get to him. So the revelation we have of him is what he brought to us, what he has made available to us through his word, through the coming of the Holy Spirit, through the incarnation of Jesus uh, coming here, through all of those things. We have been given a wealth of understanding of who God is and how he operates. And there's lots of things we know about him. We only know those things because of his self-disclosure. And so it's important that if we're gonna continue to grow in wisdom and grow in understanding and grow in our journey with God, we've gotta keep going back to him. We've got to keep seeking him. We've got to take the initiative. He's already said he will make himself known to us. He will respond to people who are hungry for him. But our initiative is to constantly put ourselves in a place where God can teach us, train us, inspire us, encourage us, and bring transformation to our lives. That is our responsibility to do that. And uh, it's, it's amazing. But Proverbs 25 verse 2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. And this means that in our journey, there are times when we don't see the bright clouds. There are times in life where we sometimes might embrace an awful gloom or a darkness. Often we despair. Two or three commentators that I really enjoy have all said this statement. They said, every believer has a time in life when they will say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Every believer will face times in their life when that cry which Jesus uttered from the cross comes out of our own hearts. But the promise is this. If we continue to seek God, 
if we continue to walk with him, if we continue to believe the things that inside of us we know are true about his faithfulness and about that nothing separates us from the love of God. Nothing really takes us away from him. It just seems like it at times in our journey of life. So if we continue to say, as David said, my soul, my soul, why are you despairing within me? Now, my soul has despaired within me many times and, and chastising it doesn't always work at the time anyway. But the issue is this, David saying, come on, David, you know better. You know about the faithfulness of God. You know about the goodness of God. You've experienced enough in your life to know that things aren't as dark and gloomy as they currently seem. So he's speaking to himself, don't despair. I believe God will work this through like he's worked everything else through ultimately in my life. And God does. And God has. And God will continue to do that because his cry at the end of his life, which is in Psalm um, 37, is I have never seen the righteous forsaken. Now, that's long term. Because we all know there are times when we feel forsaken. We've never been forsaken by God. And David is able to say that despite all that he has been through. So this excites me as a concept. I just hate it when it's been applied to my own life. I don't enjoy it one bit. I don't pray for it. I don't ask for it. I don't say, God, discipline me and, and rip all the things out of me that you're not. I, I never pray like that because I, he's going to do it anyway, so I might as well just try and cooperate with him. But the thing is this, he's gentle and he's patient and he's kind. And the nine fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, you know them, are always being applied to God's dealing with his faithful children, always. And we need to uh, remind ourselves and remind one another of that. And that's one of the reasons why we need to encourage one another daily constantly tell one another, hey, you've been through some of this before, so have I. Remember the faithfulness of God. Remember what God did last time. We need to constantly remind one another of the faithfulness of God that we know has, been, has taken place in the past. Okay, so we're going to move on. Verses four to six. His lightnings light up the world. The earth saw and trembled. The mountains melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness and all the peoples have seen his glory. You know, in the first verse, it says his lightnings lit up the world. And in Madagascar at about four o'clock every day, there's this massive lightning storm. And then of course the thunder and it's so loud. They don't even take any notice because they get it every day. I just love it. Anyway, I get quite a lot of, let me use the word teasing. Some of you are guilty of it for me too. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's some, all of you are part of it about not using PowerPoints and about not using all the modern technology. And so it happens overseas as well. Bruce, have you got any PowerPoints? Oh, no, that's right, Bruce, you don't use them. I get all that sort of stuff. So we're in the middle of, I'm preaching. 
and there's this massive burst of lightning and massive amount of thunder, so we had to stop, and all the power went down. I loved it. I said, see, guys, I can carry on preaching. You guys, there's nothing you could do about it. Your laptops are gone. Your PowerPoints are gone. Everything else is gone, but I can carry on preaching. So I thought that was God vindicating me. But anyway, I've um, gone off track here. Forgive me for that. Okay, his lightnings light up the world. The earth soar and trembled. The mountains melted like wax at the presence of the Lord. The heavens declare his righteousness and all the peoples have seen his glory. Don't you love that? That's a present time now statement. This is happening right now. It's talking about that whenever God engages with creation, it is deeply impacted by his power and its presence and it bows in awe of him. Is that going to happen in the future? Of course it is. Has it happened in the past? Absolutely. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about the awesomeness of God establishing his kingdom, which Jesus did at his first coming, and the effect that's had on creation. And it's important we understand that creation was never, ever impacted before in the way that it was through the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the establishing of the gospel of his kingdom and the coming of the Holy Spirit. That event changed everything. That event put a people on this earth, you and me, those who are born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, which the earth had never seen before. That event gave Romans 8, 19, what the creation longs for, to be restored by the sons and daughters of the living God. That event, that event meant this can now start happening. 2,000 years ago, the restoration was possible. It's been going on. It's still happening today. And you and I can be part of it. We can be part of bringing restoration to a fallen world. We're empowered to do that. We're called to do that, but we need to sign up for it. It doesn't just happen, and it certainly won't happen against his will. But Christ is here. The Spirit of the living God is here to be experienced today, to be experienced through your life and through mine. And we have the joy of being able to take that out into the world. Anywhere we go, our place of work, our place of school, um, our families, and on we go. And the only veil that is separating us from this happening is the veil of sin, which the psalm comes to in a minute. So let's keep going. Uh, Verse 4 says, The earth saw and trembled as this great shaking took place of God fronting up through the person of Jesus Christ and through his Holy Spirit. And when the day of Pentecost came, and you can read it, it's in Acts 2 and it's in the early uh, chapters of Acts. When the day of Pentecost came, there came a rushing of a mighty wind and there appeared tongues of fire that were distributing themselves and resting on people and everybody was bewildered and fearful. Imagine it. Imagine it, but it's also happened to you. 
People may not have seen flames of fire coming down upon you, but the minute you got filled and baptised with the Holy Spirit, it happened to you. The same thing that took place that we read about in Acts chapter 2 happened to you. You were never to be the same again. You were empowered to understand the gospel. You were empowered to bring a witness to the gospel. You were empowered to live the gospel out through your life in a way that would change the situation around you. We need to grasp this. See, the miracles are not the most amazing part of these events. And I love miracles. I love seeing people get healed and set free. It's all part of the kingdom of God. But the miracle that took place is that human lives were instantly transformed by the power of the living God to never be the same again. And that's it. That's why old things can be left behind and all things become new. Even our perspective, even the way we look at things, even the way we respond to things should be so different than what they were before we encountered the Holy Spirit. And we should be aware of this transformation taking place in our own life. I can still remember, and it's 40 years ago, I can still remember the day at this congregation, it wasn't here, I can still remember the day I encountered the living God and I was awestruck and terrified. I really was. I still remember it like it was yesterday and what it was like to have an encounter with who God really is. And I believe I saw 0.000, I don't know how low down you can get percent of who God is, but it was enough to put me on my face trembling before him. Some of you were there. Thank you. God bless you for being on this journey for all this time. See, faith in God and the anointing and the presence of the Holy Spirit still sets the world on fire. The reason why I went to Madagascar is not because I wanted to do the travel and go through the time zones and and be living inside a country like that. But I am absolutely convinced we and the power of the Holy Spirit can change that nation. And bring it back to what it once was because the blessing of God is on it. There's enough provision there to feed every single starving person that's on that island and have them living in abundance. I believe we can do it. And if we don't do it, God's the one doing it, but he wants to do it through his people. And if we don't do it, he'll find somebody else. And I don't want to be left in the grandstand. I want to be on the field playing. So the fire also has the power for us to deal with our stuff. If I find bad habits, bad behaviours, things that are imprisoning me from the freedom and the Holy Spirit, I have the hope and the power by going before God, by repenting and doing whatever is necessary to change. I'm not stuck where I am, nor are you. Whatever you're wrestling with, whatever you're dealing with, you're not stuck. The power to change has come upon you. Now, we have to do our part and all of those things. But we need to be excited about all this. We should be yelling and shouting and screaming. The power to bring dynamic change is right here amongst us. 
So in verse eight, it says, Zion heard this and was glad. You know, here's the amazing thing. Zion at that time never saw what you and I see. They never saw the new covenant coming. They never saw the Holy Spirit coming to fill the lives of all believers. They never saw the power to change nations and people and situations and circumstances. The Bible says they saw a shadow or a type and they said those prophets of those days who were really inspired by God could only look forward into the future to see what was to come and wonder. Do you know the scripture said even the angels didn't understand what was going on when God came to earth and the person of his son and sent his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Even the angels didn't understand what was going on. They could only look forward to this until they saw it happen. You and I are part of it. And we're 2,000 years down the track of it. We've had the benefit of the many men and women down through the ages, many who have suffered and died and paid a huge price for the revelation and the understanding that you and I have about who God is and how he works today. It is an ever-increasing kingdom that we are a part of. And we have that history. And... The good news is that the captives can now be set free. And this is what we are meant to be about. So my appeal as we get into verse 10 in the psalm, don't let sin and unrighteousness disqualify you from this journey. That's too big a price to pay. Bring it before the Lord, get free and move on. It's important that we understand that, despite the fact that it's not easy. So verse 10 says this, Hate evil, you who love the Lord, who preserves the souls of his godly ones. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. I've preached about this before, so I'm not going to labor it, but the key to get free from sin is not to resist it, The key is to see it from God's perspective, then you'll hate it. The minute we hate something, temptation disappears. We are not tempted to do things we hate. We're not tempted to eat food that we hate. We're not tempted to go and play a sports game somewhere if it's a sport that we hate. Most of my grandkids, not all of them, hate the school cross country. They're not tempted to train and get ready for it. They go off to school in the day praying for rain and hunt thunder and hailstorms and all sorts of things so they don't have to run it. There's no temptation for those kids to run the cross country because they hate it. We need to see that. Get into a whole lot of stuff here. I'm not going to do this, but our bottom line is this. We being humanity... We're designed for righteousness, not sin. Do you know what? I know we have a fallen nature and a redeemed nature. Your DNA has been wired to function out of a living, heartfelt relationship with the living God. Do you understand that? 
When you do that, your DNA comes into line with the way God wired it. We're not designed to function in sin. We're not designed to function independently. We're not designed to live our own life for our own dreams and our own visions only. We are designed to do all of these things out of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we do that, we start to line ourselves up with God's purposes in our life. Now, my beloved wife, Linda, can be very, very profound at times. So I got to Madagascar and I was tired and I couldn't sleep at night because the clock's 12 hours wrong and all this stuff's going on. And so I say to Linda, I don't know what I'm doing in this place. I don't have any passion for this. This was really early in the trip. So I'm being very grumpy. You can accuse me of whatever. I'll own up to it. But Linda makes this amazing statement, and I love this. I'm sure she got it from me earlier. I just can't remember saying it. (laughs) She says this, passion comes and goes. You have to respond to your calling. Wow, what a statement. Passion comes and goes. You have to respond to your calling. Now, there's one thing I know I'm called to be in Madagascar. I'm called to work there. I've already processed that through. I understand that. The passion comes and goes because I'm tired, I'm grumpy, I'm fed up, I'm all of those things. And by the way, after two or three days, I felt great. And the passion returned, which makes life easier when it does, believe me. But the issue is we have to respond to our calling. And we can't respond to our calling until we respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. It comes out of our relationship with him. It's not found anywhere else. And it's important to understand that. Okay, we've got to move on. Verse 11. Light is sown like seed for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Now, This is amazing. It says light is sown. Now think of a trench and you're putting seed in it to grow tomatoes or cabbages or cauliflower or whatever it is. And this tells us that as we live righteously, God sows light into the crops we're raising. God sows life into the crops we're raising. We might be raising them at a time where we can't see any results because the full harvest is not here yet. It's not harvest time. But what God's saying is, as you are living your life and sowing righteousness, I am sowing my light, my revelation in amongst your righteous crops, and they will grow up together all to your benefit, all to your understanding, and all to your well-being on this earth. That is amazing. We're not out there just laboring and working hard on our own. God says, as I watch you living and walking in righteousness, I sow things into your life which will be far more abundant to you than anything you're producing. Amazing promise that God's working like this with us. Amazing concept. The true journey of being a disciple has its trials and its tribulations, its mountains and its valleys, 
It's victories and defeats. And sometimes all those things are going on at the same time. But the true benefit is, in the midst of it all, we are promised that we will be impacted by the glory of God. We are promised that we will be impacted by his purposes and his blessings. We will pro- we're even promised that he will spoil us just because he loves us as his sons and daughters. So if we do what we know to be right and we live our life in accordance with the word and the ways of God, we will constantly, according to the psalm, uncover gladness. Now, the Hebrew word is poorly translated by gladness, but it's about joy, it's about fulfillment, it's about doing well in life, is what it means. When we read the rich promises of Psalm 23, we see that sometimes God brings us to a stillness and a place of peace and quiet. We see other times that we get God's peace when there's warfare all around us and turmoil and struggles and difficulties are going on. But either way, his faithfulness, it says, prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. We just have to get to the table. We just have to eat off it. We just have to be feeding off it. And it's important that we do that. So I'm going to finish with verse 12. Be glad in the Lord, you righteous ones, and give thanks to his holy name. That says it all. What a blessed people we are. I, I come back to New Zealand and I say, well, my lot has fallen in a fair place. Do you know what? The people of Madagascar who love Jesus and have nothing make the same statement. Honestly, they do. I had them at our meetings. I prayed with them. I spent time with them. They are saying in that country, wow, we know Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Our lot has fallen in a fair place. So this should be the way of life for all of us. Just as his mercies are new every morning for every believer, whatever country, whatever situation, whatever prison cell, wherever it is you may be, God's mercies are new every morning. His faithfulness is everlasting. So our praise and our thankfulness and our worship should be new every morning to him. Amen. God bless you. Let me pray.